Who's the first to protect our land without compromise? Tamacycle, the first of its kind ecological net wrap and baler twine made with recycled content. Contact your local dealer today and start baling for a better tomorrow. Tama, always first. Hello and welcome to your Over the Farm Gate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host this week, FG Deputy Editor Olivia Midgley. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode. This week, we're talking about the buzzword of the moment. Yes, you guessed it, it's regenerative farming. But what actually is it? Isn't it, as many farmers have said to me, just proper farming? What does it have the power to achieve and why is it so important as we head through this next chapter of UK agriculture? Well, here to tell us more, it's Jess Fredenberg. Hello everyone, I'm Jez Fredenberg and in this month's Farming Can campaign theme, we're looking at how agriculture can care for the countryside. So it seems like a very good time to talk about the darling of the moment, regenerative farming. Now, many people say this way of farming is the future of the industry that will help all of us to continue to feed ourselves, care for the countryside and deal with some very, very big environmental crises. But what really is it and how does it work practically? To help us dig a bit deeper into this, I'm really excited to be joined by Claire Hill. Claire is employed by FAI, a consultancy that helps food chain businesses to become more sustainable. And she heads up the regenerative farming work of that, including on big projects with clients such as McDonald's. She's also farm manager to the FAI farm in Oxfordshire, where she's been introducing regenerative farming practices since the beginning of last year to learn more about it. She admits that she was pretty conventional in her thinking beforehand, and so I'm especially interested to hear how that has changed and the difference these practices have made to the farm and the business. So Claire, welcome to the Farmer's Garden podcast. I wanted to just read something off FIA's uh, website to start with, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't normally read something off a company website, but this, um, this did strike me um, and I think it might be useful for what we're talking about today. It says, humanity is facing the twin crises of biodiversity loss and climate change. Food production takes up almost half of the planet's land surface and has impacted every ocean fishery. This affects everyone, but as an industry, we have a responsibility and a unique opportunity to act. And then I noticed the the slogan as well on the website is making food businesses part of the solution. And I think this is really very much what what we're talking about today and specifically how regenerative farming can help Uh, the food and farming sector be part of the solution to these crises of biodiversity loss and climate change. And I think before we get into what you've been doing in that respect, could you please just give us a little bit of an idea of what you would say regenerative farming actually is? Because it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment, isn't it? And probably everyone listening has heard it. Some people might know what it is. Some might have an inkling. But what would you say it is? That's such a good question. It's the it's the f- the first question on everybody's lips, and it's also the question that I wanted to know when I first started looking at all of this. It's like, well, what is it? And nobody can often give a clear answer. 
But in the main, it is, I guess the way to summarise it in the main is it's about like taking a slightly different approach to decision making. And ultimately, is a farm regenerative or not? It is the land regenerating. When you look at the surface of the soil and possibly dig some holes in the soil, are there signs that regeneration or degeneration is occurring? So in that way, it's really simple. But how do we look at that? What indicates it? who says that that's the right thing to do and, um, and and what do I change on my farm in order to achieve it? Those are the more difficult questions. There's also, I think, a point I've been having more conversations about lately around regenerative practices and a regenerative farm. So many farms are carrying out practices which are regenerative, as in will have contribution towards regeneration. But but they're not that just because one or two things like moving to zero till is great um, and really great step, but that doesn't mean the whole farm is now a regenerative farm. That is a regenerative practice. And that's something I think that often gets blurred in, in conversations about it. Um, on the farm here, we decided to go for the Savory Ecological Outcome Verification Scheme, which I think there's only nine farms in the UK currently certified under that scheme because it is a completely new approach to uh, certification whereby the team actually come out and spend three days on the farm um, for us in our first year um, looking at our soil and what what's happening. Just so we kind of really get this clear in our heads about what a regenerative farming system looks like. Would it be fair to say that it is, it is a circular system, it is a system where ecosystem services are all functioning properly and all of that together is causing that regeneration? Or is- what a regenerative farming system looks like for one farmer versus another is not the same. And in the past, we've been delivered this sort of top-down approach, isn't it? It's a sort of a top of a supply chain has decided this is the standard we want and we're going to tell everybody below us what we're going to do. And that means as farmers, we get told how we're going to farm. Whereas what I feel is one of the really exciting things about regenerative agriculture is it's for us to grasp hold of that and say, well, how do I make my farm regenerative? And what does regenerative mean to me? Because the knowledge about the land and everything comes from the people that are working it. And we've been we've we've kind of gone down a certain route. We've all thought we've been doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden everyone's told us, no, this is not good. You're killing the planet. This is not how we want our food produced anymore. And uh, we're okay, right. Well, what's the new good? And regenerative agriculture is an approach which has in a way been pra- practiced through by for a long time. But maybe we've just lost touch with it a little bit. Um, and now we just need to reconnect with, with what that is and, um, and, and go, for, go forward from here. So would you say as a, as a farmer, it's about taking the knowledge that you already have of your, your landscape and your farm and how it, how it behaves under different conditions and, and, and kind of learning about it in a different way? Or would it, would it be fair to say in a more in-depth way or a more ecological way or what? what would that be? I think one way to describe it is it's like through a different lens. So it's the same, we, we, we farm the same livestock here on the same land as we did before we were giving ourselves the name of being regenerative. Um, we're livestock farmers and we were then and we, we are now. Um, and but it's the way in which we view it through a different lens. We look at it differently. And there is definitely an element of reconnection with the land, not relying on someone to come and do a test or seeing what we see you know from the tractor this is about getting out um digging holes but not just digging a hole and going all right well i've got some earthworms and there's a bit of soil and learning what that means 
Um, and using learning how ecosystems work, I think, is, is the thing. And then how do I change my management practice? So an example would be weeds. You know, one of the biggest debates, well, if we, you know, do everything differently or we don't keep on top of our grass management the weeds get really bad and my, I always use the example of thistles in the past we're an organic farm and we followed all our grazing with a topper that's what we did and that, that's quite a big input for us both in time and machinery and diesel now when I see thistles I just look and think well what are they telling me why have we got thistles because what just topping them every year does it deals with the symptom it gets rid of that for another year but I know for sure the thistles will be back whereas when I think why are the thistles there well compaction bare soil poor drainage okay so how do I adjust my management practices so that the conditions are less favorable for thistles well we do adaptive multi-paddock grazing and we give longer rest periods and bit by bit the thistles are diminishing um and and so it's that it's a it, change of approach and thinking more than anything else same tools same animals same staff we're all the same that it's the change in approach that's different that's really interesting so it sounds like part of that is learning to I guess really listen to what your farm is telling you a, a bit more um in a sort of more yeah really listening to what nature is telling you the little signs and things what would you say sorry you're going to say something yeah, I was just going to say, particularly, I think why this is more front of mind than ever is because, of course, the climatic extremes that we're seeing, you know, we, 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 the flood and drought that we experience is, is, is really challenging, you know, really challenging. And so that's, a, that's one of the big drivers for me was that we've, we, we'd had the wettest winter on record a couple of lambings ago during lambing looking down at the ground we've got massive cracks like where in the world has all the water gone and now I do some of this more observation I'm like ah we've actually got pretty compacted land it's not hold the, the root zone is very shallow we're not holding on to water very well well I can action that and make my farm much more productive by by taking action on that so that that's that's what yeah one of the big re changes I guess we've seen in the last four to five years is those climate extremes that we're just not used to Discover your new favourite harvest playlists. With all the tracks chosen by growers, Bayer's Harvest Beats playlist on Spotify includes Combine's Roll, a mix of classic tunes to get you singing the harvest in, while the After Dark playlist keeps you motivated and alert with upbeat tunes and classic anthems. Check out Bayer for Crops UK playlists on Spotify now. Can you paint a picture for us of what would you say when a farm is fully regenerative? And I know you said every single one would, will be obviously unique depending on the natural resources and everything that it has. But when a farm is like fully functioning regenerative, what is actually happening there? So I think that we don't we don't have really good clarity yet particularly in the UK about you know across the board what are the set of things you could say you would see on every farm but the indications would be high levels of biodiversity so lots of um, wildlife and plant species um, and not just in volume but in, in in different types so the 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 genie experiment that's been done in Germany would say that 
after once you go above 16 species in a sward that's when the real magic starts to happen in the soil so the the pathways um of the the, the protozoa and the microbes and the plants and all the root exudates and everything talking to each other including the the microbes in the rumen everything interacting to make sure that the plants are producing what the animals need and all of that magic stuff happens after 16 species so um it, it we could say that we, we haven't achieved it yet here but if we can get to 16 species in our swords then we know that the magic will start to happen and that the more that we have um the, the more species that we have each step that we make on with that the, the better the better things will be the other things are um looking at the, the root depth um of, of grasses like i say ours are pretty shallow um, and when we did carbon testing for example in our naught to ten centimeter test we had really high levels of carbon where all the roots were in our 10 to 20 depth um, we had medium levels of carbon where there were a few roots and from 20 to 30 centimeters and beyond where there was no roots there was no carbon being stored um, and carbon of course is so important because we need to draw it out of the atmosphere to help deal with the, the the challenges we're facing around climate but also because carbon is a food source um, and so by getting into the ground with we're feeding the soil and the microbes and everything happening there so um also looking at the the amount of yeah, the amount of diversity is a big one so within a sward within a crop um, we're used to dealing quite in in monocultures um, and and we we have this model where we're incentivized to do farming here and nature over here so we've got intensive crop in the middle and headlands of of bee strips or whatever they might be around the edge which is all great that brings biodiversity to that area but how about if we could farm in a more diverse way across the board i don't have the answer of how to do that i should say like i don't know what that looks like but that would that would show a, a, a farm that was regenerating and i think is where's key is if you say well if if we can get our plants working really well and we don't have to use nitrogen on our grass anymore for example when we get 16 species plus we've got such activity that nature is making its own nutrients um, and, and that would be a, a place where I would say you could say I think now I've stopped using nitrogen completely and my productivity is still very good if not better now I am regenerative. Excellent awesome thank you well let's let's hear a little bit more about what you've been doing on the farm can you tell us first Claire tell us a little bit about the farm you know where it, is it exactly what do you normally farm and why does the company actually have a farm in the first place? Okay, so we are 1200 acres. Uh, we're tenant farmers on majority Oxford University land. Last sort of 20 years, we've been mainly beef, sheep and laying hens. Um, and now we, over the last few months, have um, made a decision to really focus in on beef, actually, um, because that's what our our clients um would be coming under the most pressure about the world like beef seems to be the bad guy and actually what we would say is that beef as part of a regeneratively managed system is is one of those solutions because we bring biodiversity in we produce food off land that couldn't be couldn't be used for anything else um, and we're actually doing more good than we are harm and that's what a lot of this is about now where sustainability maybe got it a bit wrong is that we were just trying to sustain something keep it the same we never actually managed that um, and so what we're what we're looking for in our systems is not just systems that do less harm but systems that actually do good the reason we have a farm is really simple so that we can practice what we preach can you imagine me sitting here and saying all this stuff if i hadn't actually lived it myself and i've come from a place of 
you're very like traditional I if someone had said to me you'll be doing this in five years I'd have thought they were crazy um and so you have know, a very traditional approach to agriculture and um and and but only by having the farm um at the center of our business are we able to see this trend coming think about it wonder if it's something we should do i certainly pushed it away for a couple of years it's all right in america it'll work there it'll never work here or x y and z reason and eventually then going oh maybe maybe you know maybe we should look at it and then and then go and then going for it and so in, unless we had been through that journey yeah we wouldn't be able to speak to, to people about whether it's something that they might consider or not I think that's really exciting actually because so many farmers who are like you would you've just called yourself like more traditional um you know more conventional are really looking at this and are getting really excited about the possibilities of regenerative and I think it's that is only going to increase isn't it so okay so tell us what I, I guess before you did anything on the farm then in terms of regenerative how did you come up with a plan and how did you take what you already knew so going back to what we talked about earlier about the knowledge that you already had about the farm how did you take what you knew and then apply new sets of knowledge and new understanding to that to kind of come up with a plan for what the farm could could be like regeneratively we definitely had to get help so <laughs> I could I, you know I'd read stuff online and I'd watched a few videos and I was like this is great but like yeah the biggest thing for me was what do I do first like what do we change so it was a, a total minefield and the only way I was able to do it was with was with help and we used um James Daniel from Precision Grazing to help on the, the kind of grazing side of things and Caroline Grindrod from Roots of Nature. She's like our regen guru. That, that's what she does. She's a kind of coach and mentor on regenerative agriculture. We could have achieved some of the things without that help, but it wouldn't have been so quick. Um, and Caroline helped us taught us basically a, a different way of thinking she she taught us about I didn't know what an ecosystem process was what and and I, and I spent a long time just going just tell me what to do like I'm not interested in all of that just <laughs> I know I need to do it different but just tell me like tomorrow what do I get up and do differently um and she was patient and she just helped me realize that until I understood those things a little bit more I don't have to understand them fully that I just need to get a little then I can start to understand what why and what we might need to change and a, a good example might be that people come here all the time and they see birds and they look at grass and plant species and like, what's that what's that what's that and I'm like I am terrible at uh, bird and plant identification I don't even know the main ones but what I do know is where we've just got one or I can tell if it's just one of the same or if it's a few different ones and that's the point really don't have to sometimes it can become really complicated so the first thing we did um, and it's what I talk about when we work with others now is to take a step back and write your own context write it down what are your family goals how do you want your life to look like do you want to have a holiday so we wrote our context. I wrote our context. What what did we want the farm to be? What did we want it to look like? Did we want lots of people involved or keep it really small? Like all these different things. And what did we want the farm to look like in five or ten years? Did we want it to be full of wildlife? Um, did we want to be suffering the highs and lows of flood and drought anymore? Um, or did we want to write in actually we wanted to move away from that? And then what you find is that with that as a reference, when you start to make day to day decisions like I don't know we've got a high feck count on the sheep shall we worm them well yes of course we should because they've got a high feck count we need to worm them but 
that we know that's going to impact on our dung beetle populations, which is going to impact on our soil health, which is going to impact on the ability of our land to absorb water, which is going to impact on our flood and drought. So let's just we'll still do it right here and now. But let's think, right, we've got a worm problem. It keeps building what we're going to do differently about the way we manage our sheep. So then it just starts and it doesn't come all at once. But that just started me thinking, thinking differently. I love that example. It's really tracing the threads, isn't it? And like you say, it's about those ecosystems and really understanding like how everything impacts something else and sets off a chain of events that might be positive or negative, I guess. So, okay, so you you had your you had your plan and I'm guessing you established some baselines probably. Yeah, no, we did. We did. And our plan then to, to I guess, just to say that then what we decided we were going to do about what we were seeing was adaptive multi paddock grazing um, or holistic plant grazing, but um, rotational grazing, but with some extra stuff in there around rest periods, mostly. So high density of animals, short period of time, followed by a long rest period. And that long rest period is is key. And then we just started doing it. How how big should we make the cell? I don't know. Let's try this. This feels about right. And then, you know, does that work? How many days do we want it to last? And you just learn really quickly. We talk a lot about feedback. So you try it, you go back, you look, did that work? Didn't it? Is it a weekend? Is someone on holiday? Let's give them more space. Let's give them less space because we really want to fit it in. We've got to get them back for TV testing, whatever it is. That's what's key about adaptive multi-paddock grazing. It's totally adaptive and you adapt it to suit your own your own objectives when we first decided to, to go down this regen route we actually went to mcdonald's uk we've worked with them for a long time and said are you interested in seeing how this might work and they said yes great so they're they're supporting the project um by funding the data collection over and above the, the farming side so that we can prove whether it works or not so we've done a lot of baseline data collection and have you done any other um any other changes yet have you made any, any other changes that are regenerative yet so the just by changing the grazing plan, it, it turns everything upside down. So the genetics decisions um, about how we're going to breed, how are we going to accept that we'll have to break them off into smaller groups to go with the bull? Or do we look in, in a year or two's time that we just run, you know, a few bulls, all of the same family altogether or not? And how would it, do we DNA test the offspring in order to know or do we not care about who the sire is? That, that genetics conversations would be a big thing that we've changed. We've, we've started to understand a lot more about minerals and what animals are getting from the land and observing maybe like animals that are shedding winter coats better than others and obviously linked to mineral deficiency. We've always known that, but starting to observe, okay, so do we mineralize for that or do we select from the ones that are really well adapted to this system and are thriving the best. We've done one polyculture cropping where we've planted um, a, a mix to feed our chickens. Wouldn't say that's been the most successful, wouldn't put it as a total failure, but um, we've had so much change sort of happening and, and things popping up all the time. It probably didn't get the focus it needed. Also, we're just going into a new um, countryside stewardship higher tier agreement. We've changed the emphasis and the focus on the way we do that. So aiming towards species richness um, and, and tree planting. Those would be our two kind of focus areas. We all know trees are great, but also what they add as far as microbes to the soil, fungi, shade and shelter for the animals, browse for the animals, all helping with the nutrient cycling and, 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 and mineral cycling. And what have, what have been the impacts? so far of these changes so the animals are doing really well we're outwintering now cows uh, so each year we've experimented with outwintering on a farm that everybody told us you'd never outwinter on the only way we achieve outwintering is if we continue with the cell grazing and we put bales out 
So that's been an impact is we don't have to store hay anymore because we just take it from where we make it and we place it out now in round bales, tightly wrapped. And then that's ready for the winter. So our storage and handling of hay has gone down. Um, and then we would move, they would be in cells for one to two days throughout the winter. Um, and so we're outwintering more animals each year we push it more and um, means our winter housing costs have come down or it freezes up buildings to be able to do other earn other things you know the next thing is that our daily live weight gains are good and if not better than they used to be and we're finishing animals in sort of 18 19 20 most things will be gone by 21 22 months a while ago when everything was on a much more intensively fed system we wouldn't be starting to finish until uh, 23 24 and things will be going 25 26 27 months so we've almost reduced our second house so that second winter housing we're spring carving our aim now is to get as many as possible before the winter housing period so we're housing many fewer animals which allows us to carry more stock the next biggest change is the amount of grass we're growing it is phenomenal we have got wasted grass all over this farm because we just can't keep up if you looked at it right now we could double if not triple the carrying capacity of the farm it feels like maybe that's not true in reality but it's certainly a significant it's not an extra five cows it is significant amount more animals our input costs have come down for us we're organic anyway so we're not using a lot of inputs but even just things like our time the topping time spent treating sheep when we're doing less worm treatments for example so those input costs have come down and the farm feels like a happier place to be it's just a really nice way to farm like it's really enjoyable because maybe some of the, the extremes of pressures that come like flood and drought because you've planned for them then you just like ride it, it doesn't feel so stressed so this spring would be a great example when Humphrey was like isn't it great that we're carving and lambing later everyone thinks we're crazy because we're not chasing those early prices but actually look at that look at how tough this spring was for so many people to just not have to ride that and the recovery period of it both on the land the animals and the people involved in it to just not have that is like really hopeful place to be do you does that make you feel almost like more supported by nature itself like more supported by the natural environment because it sounds like you're much more you're working much more in sync with it you're much more embedded in it in a in a more sort of mutually beneficial way yeah for, for sure that's what um one of the things about at the beginning what is regenerative agriculture what one scenario often explain is that nowhere no human intervened farm system is more productive with all of its inputs than nature itself. Like the Amazon rainforest, where left alone, will produce more biomass per square meter than anywhere in, in the world that we could think that we might be able to create. And OK, we might not want to eat those things that it's growing, but it's growing, it's using sunlight, it's making the most of photosynthesis, it's, it's making the most of the soil biology. So, yeah, if, if we want to mimic the most productive places on earth then we need to mimic what nature does what advice do you have then claire for for other farmers who might be just starting to enter this whole realm of regenerative agriculture what would you say to them yeah that's a good one be brave i think um one thing i learned when i read lots of historic stuff farmers said they wish they'd done more more quickly and i'm the same even though we've done a lot and you make you make decisions you learn but then when you see things happen then it gives you more confidence to do more don't listen to the critics uh our landlord wrote to us 
to say that we were in breach of our tenancy because we weren't keeping the land in good agricultural order. And I was like, wow, it's interesting. What is good agricultural order? <laughs> and, and, but you know, it'd be really easy at that point to be like, oh God, we're going to lose our tenancy. We need to do something different. Um, it's if, if you can, if you're in a position to um, get, get some advice, get some help, Regen Ben, Caroline Grinrod, James Daniel, to name just a few. There are a number of people out there op- offering services that can just range from a conversation on the phone through to a full strategic plan. It really, it's almost don't put your money into inputs. Don't buy the fertilizer, but spend that money on speaking to one of those guys instead and see 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 what you can see what you can learn join one of the whatsapp groups like get a few new set of kind of peers uh, because it's really hard when everybody's telling you that you're doing the wrong thing or it's not going to work and everyone's judging it so this i say sometimes like i can't have some conversations with my normal farming friends i've had to make some new regen farming mates um because if we're going to have real conversations about farming they think i'm crazy um and i kind of think they're crazy you should be looking at this stuff I think that's brilliant, really, really brilliant advice, Claire. And um, just quickly wanted to just pick back. You said something about tenancies there and, and your landlord's reaction. And mm. it's, it sounds to me like it's, um, it's, it's almost like a re-education thing, isn't it? As I'm guessing if your landlord was saying, oh, God, this is looking messy or something. It's, it's like trying to challenge that idea of what a well-managed landscape is. It's not necessarily like, completely neat <laughs> and tidy and everything is it it's something else that's right Na- nature doesn't do straight lines um, and, and we should learn from that it's it's definitely worth talking to landlords um if, if that is a concern ultimately going to be increasing the value of an asset so as long as they hopefully they'll understand that if with an open conversation and that would be encouraging and supporting of this way of farming brilliant claire thank you so much i think we've had a really fascinating conversation there about regen farming and I think it is the future isn't it so it it sounds very much like it's a very very big mind shift in all sorts of ways um and I think it's really exciting that more and more people are looking at this so thank you for coming on and sharing your experience and your knowledge and advice with us and please let us know what happens going forward Thank you to Jez and to Claire for that fascinating insight. And if you want to know more about the FAI project, then just head to the website. It's fai.academy and click on the regenerative farming tab where there's loads of information. Well, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Just make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes of Over the Farm Gates. But until next week, from us at FG, thank you for listening. Goodbye for now.